Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. I wanted to take a moment and say, and I even said it last week too, I am so thankful for Pastor Jason, personally, for the example that he sets for me. Yeah. <laughs> As a young man in ministry, like church ministry, he's such a, he sets such an awesome example of what it looks like to be a pastor. And uh, he challenges me, but he also challenges us uh, to love where we live. And that is so important uh, as a local church to love where you live, uh, to be moved by God for, with a heart of compassion for our community, for our county, for our town here. And I just, I pray that you would receive that challenge from him as he is so passionate about reaching Fayette County. Would you allow your heart to be moved with that same passion that you would love where you live and uh, pray to see this place changed? Amen. Amen. So I just wanted, I wanted to, to say that because I know how much that challenges me, and I'm so appreciative uh, just to learn from him in that regard and in so many other ways. So um, I'm excited to share with you today as well, excited uh, just because I love sharing from God's Word, and I love getting the opportunity uh, to share with you, and uh, it's going to be a good day because we are still in the month of May. And I love May. Am I right? Anybody love May as much as I do? Yeah, I love May. May is awesome. It's so, it's like so funny because everything becomes greener and greener, right? April into May. And uh, Leah and I have this thing that as we're driving, we live over in Smithfield. And as we turn onto the road there, we look at the mountain. Every time I'm like, isn't the mountain so beautiful? I just love like when the mountain comes to life and May is like my favorite month of the entire year out of all the months of the year, May. I don't know what it is about May, um, but I love May. It just, I, I also recently turned 28 in the month of May. Uh, yeah, all the awesome people were born in May. So maybe that's what it is. It's a coincidence. I like May and I happen to be born in May as well. So I turned 28 years old on the 15th. So if you missed it and if you want to wish me a happy birthday, you can come down after and just let me. It's still May. I'll let it count. But if you could do me a favor, mark your calendars next year and try not to forget May 15th. So obviously, uh, I'm just kidding uh, with you. But this year, uh, I really enjoyed my birthday. And uh, I really enjoyed my birthday because of my wonderful wife, Leah. She is so awesome. She's my Leah. Uh, And she is so incredible. And she is an incredible gift giver. Uh, She's so intentional. She's so thoughtful. She's so, she's, she's just awesome. Awesome, awesome. She, she's so good at giving gifts. And this year for my birthday, she gave me the gift of a, a flight, uh, a plane ticket to go and visit my friend Tyler in Colorado. So I was super excited. But the way that she did this was so incredible, okay? So I came home from work. Um, I don't even know. I think it was like a Thursday. 
I don't know what day it was, but I came home from work and I, I walk into our house and on the wall is a map of the United States. And she took all of these little pins and she put them all over the United States, places where we had visited both individually and together. So the map has all of these little pin marks all over uh, the United States. And I thought that was pretty cool. I'm like, I don't know what she's doing, but that's cool. I like that. That's neat. New piece of art on the wall. And then she walks over to me and mind you, it's April at this time. So it's not yet my favorite month. It's like, it's close. It's like my second favorite month because it's so close to May. Um, But she walks over to me and she hands me a gift bag that says happy birthday on it. And I'm thinking, okay, the kids really have gotten to her and she's going crazy because she knows that May is my birthday. But this is how intentional and thoughtful she is. So I open up the gift bag and take out this little journal that she had written notes in to me. And each one of the notes was a line in our vows. So we're gonna be married for five years here in July, which is super cool. I'm really excited about that, five years. I know that's not long for, uh, for some of you, which man, thank you for the example that you set for us uh, young people. Uh, but five years is so significant to us. And, and so she had written uh, journal entries for each one of the lines of our vows. And one of them was that she always promised to make my birthday special. And so she was following through on that promise that she made. And I get to the end of the, the journal and there it is, the plane ticket, the boarding pass for me to go and visit my friend Tyler. And so that was such an awesome gift. And just the time that she put into it was so incredible. And the amount of thought, I'm not as good as a gift giver as Leah is, but we don't wanna talk about that this morning. We don't want to focus on me. We want to focus on the Lord, okay? Uh, so, but she is such an incredible, and she sets that example for me of someone who, out of love, out of the kindness of her heart, does things for the sake of others. They don't always have to be like these extravagant gifts. Sometimes we talk about this idea of like just seeing something that makes you think of somebody and picking it up and saying, hey, I was thinking of you, so I got this. And it's just that thought that when you weren't with that person, they were thinking of you. You know what I mean? And that's who uh, Leah is. And as incredible as a gift giver as Leah is, and as much as uh, she sets an example for me, uh, it only reminds me that I have a perfect heavenly father who knows how to give good gifts and who gives really good gifts to his children. And that's true. And if, if that can be true of Leah, that can be true of my heavenly father. And as a matter of fact, we read that exact thing in scripture. Throughout all of scripture, we get this picture of a loving heavenly father giving good gifts to his children. Jesus says that himself, doesn't he? If you who, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father give good gifts to those that ask? And the idea of being evil isn't that we're evil and terrible people, it's we're imperfect. And as much as we try to be good parents to our children, uh, we, we, we're, we're not perfect. We mess up, but we do the best that we can and we give good gifts to our children. And if we can find the capacity in our own hearts that aren't always the best, how much more does our perfect heavenly father give incredible gifts to his children? Amen? And, and how true is that of our lives that we recognize that God has been so faithful to us to give us a good gift, uh, gifts. Paul even tells us in a letter that he wrote to the church of Ephesus, he starts off with this long run-on sentence giving praise to God. And he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. 
And there's this idea in 1 Peter where we read that God says he's given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And then James even tells us that every good gift is from our Father above. So this is a consistent theme throughout scripture that we have a good father in heaven who knows how to give his children exactly what they need, give them exactly what it is that he designed just for them. And even as Leah spent time designing this perfect moment to take place, God has done the same thing for your life as well. So I tend to believe that God has given me gifts to do a very specific task at a very specific place for a very specific time. And I tend to believe the same thing is true for you as well, that God has by design put you exactly where you are for a very specific reason, for a very specific time. I tend to believe that because it's in God's word. And, and, and if it's in God's word, I, I want to live my life by God's word because there's a difference between godly wisdom and then human wisdom. And I've found that godly wisdom is much better than man's wisdom, right? And so I'm so thankful that I can read of this in God's word. Uh, the point of this is that God has gifted you, but many of us struggle with this reality, Many of us struggle with understanding that God has a purpose for our life and that he's gifted us for a very specific reason. And and we struggle with this for so many different reasons that we're gonna be talking about today. But I pray that God would help us increase in our faith to recognize how good of a father he is and how lovingly he's taken care of his children. That he's designed specific tasks and things for you to do at specific moments with specific people so that we can bring glory to God with all of our lives. And the passage that I wanna look at uh, today is found in Romans chapter 12. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, starting with verse three, and we'll go all the way through uh, till verse eight, okay? So Romans 12, starting with verse three to verse eight. And it reads, actually, let's do this. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? just because I so believe uh, in honoring God's word. Amen? Here we go. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to be looking at an in-depth view of this passage so that I might convince you that you are gifted for a very specific reason and that God has given you good gifts. But before we get into that, I want to kind of preface 
this message. Is that okay? I kind of want to put like a little, I guess, a disclaimer, a preface at, at, at the top of this message uh, just to help us. I don't know. I just feel like this would be helpful. Um, so hear my heart when I say this, and I hope it will make sense, but I think it's important to recognize um, what I'm about to tell you, okay? So just a quick uh, preface before we hop into this text. Uh, I really believe that God hasn't gifted you so that your talents can only be displayed in the church. Are you tracking with me? What I mean by that is that we often think of the church as a building. We talk about this sort of stuff all of the time. This is not the church. We are the church, right? We get that, right? And so we think of our gifts only having the ability to be expressed on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday evening Bible study. And we limit or we put in a box the gifts that God has given us the rest of the week. And we're always looking for some sort of way that we can be recognized in the church and to find expression for our wonderful gifts in a church setting. But God has gifted us all differently and he hasn't just gifted you so that your gifts could be on display during a service or during the time that we get together. Don't get me wrong. It's important for us to meet together. That's scripture too. We can go to Hebrews and I can point that out that God says not to give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but to continue and to encourage each other all the more as we see the day approaching. So it's, it's important what we do here in church. It's biblical what takes place, but your gifts aren't meant just to find their full expression in your ministry as a part of a church on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night Bible study. Your gifts are so that you would take those gifts out before the world. And scripture says that men may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Those men aren't the people in this church. Those people are outside of these walls. We're talking about using our gifts in our everyday life, wherever God has placed us, so that other people can witness those things and recognize, wow, that is a godly man or a godly woman. Does that make sense? So our gifts aren't just supposed to find their expression in church here, but they're supposed to work themselves out in how you are a husband and how you are a wife and how you are a father and how you are a mother and and how you are as an employee and how you are as a boss or whatever it might be that your gifts are supposed to be practically used in your everyday life. But we get so hung up with this thought that my gifts only can be used in this setting or in this structure, right? Have you seen that happen where we feel like, it's, it's this idea here. The, the reason that I feel like I need to explain this is because we get hung up thinking that each of us need our own little ministry, right? Where we gather people together in a place and hopefully that number continues to grow so that way I can feel like I've done a thing. I don't know what that thing is, but look, we, we've got people and they're following me and soon it becomes about creating a gathering of people who are following you and about you building your own kingdom and not about building the kingdom of God and not recognizing that, man, God has allowed me to be where I am, to use my gifts in every context, in every setting, and in the marketplace, and every place that I go, I ought to be using my gifts, not just in my ministry. Does that make sense? Okay. So the reality is that God has gifted us each differently So that each of us with our different abilities would go out into different places and reach different people. 
So I don't know what your gifts are. I don't know where you work. I don't know who you hang out with when you're not here. But God has allowed us as the body of Christ to go out into this community that we might change it, that we might affect the community, that we might affect the place that we live, that we might create a place where human flourishing can happen. So if you're a teacher, you're doing that there, you know? I don't know, whatever it might be, whatever role, like that is your call, that is your gift, that is where God has placed you. He put you there for a very specific reason so that you could be the one who reaches those people, right? So I thought it would be important for me to preface this message by helping you understand that the full expression of your gift isn't so that we can come to church and say, wow, that person is really gifted. They deserve to be recognized for all of their wonderful talents what good does that do, God? Or what good does that do you? Like, that only glorifies yourself. It's so that, again, men might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, not glorify you on earth, right? That makes sense. So uh, now let's begin to look at the passage specifically, and uh, I wanna help you understand how uh, you ought to use your gifts or what that might look like. So let's start with verse three. Verse three says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Okay, so if you're taking notes, here's the first point for you. Okay, here is the first point. Think less of yourself. Right? Think less of yourself. Now, some of us immediately respond to this and we think, oh, that's no problem for me. I don't really like myself anyway. So to think less of myself won't be all that hard to do, right? I can, I can think less of myself. I'm not that great of a person anyway. That's not what I mean. Actually, that's the problem right there. That's not what I mean. So when you hear me say, think less of yourself, what you're hearing me say is that you should think down on yourself. What I'm saying is, think of yourself less often. Does that make sense now? That's the ears that we need to have when, when we read what Paul is saying here. He says that we need to think of ourselves less often or think of ourselves less in that regard. So when we read this passage, a lot of us feel like it's not going to be that hard for us not to think highly of ourselves because we're thinking, I don't think highly of myself. So that's not a problem, Paul. Check, I got that. Because a lot of us have a low self-image. I'm in that boat, and I feel like if I am, there's probably many of you who are there as well. And the reality is, when we read this, we fall into one of two categories, okay? We are either too confident in our abilities, or we're too insecure uh, in our abilities, I would make the case, however, that both of those feelings are actually rooted in pride, both of them are rooted in pride, and those who think bad of themselves are like, great, another reason for me to feel bad about myself. I'm prideful. Yes, it's unfortunately true, but it's, it's obvious. It's easy for us at times to point out those people who are arrogant or too confident or full of themselves. We're like, man, look at that guy. He's really cocky. And usually the person who points that person out is usually the insecure one who wishes they were that person, which go figure, like that's how it works. I don't know why. But both are rooted in pride. And, and the one where we think less of ourselves or we think too little of ourselves is also uh, this idea where we're still at the center of our world. 
Like, every excuse is because we're not good enough or we don't have the ability or we don't have the giftedness or, man, I just I could never do what they do because I'm just not as awesome as, as they are. But you're still thinking of yourself. And so it's like this inverted pride. It's like this pride flipped on its head. And I would even say it's a little bit darker and a little bit more insidious. I like that word. It sounds like a good word, right? Because we don't recognize it because it feels so good to be so humble. <laughs> it feels so good to, man, I just, I'm, I walk in humility because I just don't think so highly of myself, but you're thinking of yourself. Here's the problem. Those who think too highly of themselves or those who are overly confident overestimate their abilities, right? But those who think too low of themselves or who are really insecure underestimate God's ability. And that's the truth. Because the reality is, and what we read here, is that the faith that we have, the gift that we have, the amount of grace is given to us by God. So it has nothing to do with how able or how unable you are. It has everything to do with how able God is. Amen? So the way I want to encourage you uh, this morning is to think less of yourself. But hear what I'm really saying. I'm not saying think down on yourself. I'm saying think more of Jesus than you think of yourself. Think more of others more than you think of yourself. Consider other people. Scripture even tells us that too, to think of others more highly than we think of ourselves, to think more of others than, because everything we do is, is like we're the center, right? I, I, I seen this example once where in another country, a guy showed up and he saw a world map and he thought, man, that world map looks weird. And the reason the world map looked weird to him is because the United States wasn't in the center of the map. Every time we look at the map, we expect to see the United States at the center. The same thing is true of our lives. Every time we think about God's plan, we think it revolves around us. We expect to see ourselves in the center of God's plan. That's Jesus. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the focus. Jesus is the point. And the quicker you get your eyes off of yourself and the quicker you get your eyes on Jesus, the more joy-filled, the more exciting, the more life-giving your life will become. So put Jesus at the center. And so the first thing I want to encourage you is to think less of yourself, but know what it is what I'm saying when I say that. Don't, don't twist that to, to say what you want it to say. So... That is the first point, that by design, God has given us the faith that we need to use our abilities so that he might be glorified. Amen? Our whole purpose is to glorify God. When thinking about um, what God has gifted us to do or not to do, Paul is encouraging us to strike this balance between overestimating our abilities and underestimating God's abilities. We need to learn to trust, that is the faith element, in the one who gave us the gifts that he's given us and believe that we are currently doing what he's called us to do at this moment. That by no mistake, you are exactly where you're supposed to be, that you are right now in the center of God's will for your life and that whatever you're going through, he is working in your life, his plan, his will, his agenda, right? You know, it's really hard to get outside of the will of God. Did you realize that? We struggle with this so much as believers. I don't know if it, I don't think it's just 
forgive me. I think it's just a young person thing. I think we all struggle with this feeling like, am I in God's will? We have to work to get outside of the will of God. And what I mean by that is you have to willfully choose to walk away from God. And I think we're always afraid that somehow we're going to miss it. There's just no way that a good father would allow us to do that. And if our whole worldview and our whole understanding of God is that he's this mean God who's looking to get us and he's put pitfalls in our way and he's trying to to make it impossible for us, that's not a good God. That's not a good father. But scripture tells us that he's a good father who gives good gifts. He's even a better father, you know, better parent than you are to your children. So remember, think less of yourself. Think of yourself less less often. The second point that I want to make is found in verses four through five in the beginning of verse six, okay? And this is the point. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. This is something that Leah shouts every time we get on the highway, and that person begins to swerve in our lane just a little bit with no turn signal on. It's like, stay in your lane, right? And so on the way home yesterday, even there was a minivan. We were driving on the turnpike. We were on the way home from, uh, uh, with friends, and on the way home, there was a, a minivan. Its tire like blew out, and it began to swerve into our lane, and I'm like immediately panicked. My heart's like up in my throat. You know what I mean? I'm like, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Or there's nothing worse than when you're on the highway, and you have like the barrier on one side and a truck on the other, and it like starts moving over, and it's like, this is going to hurt, right? Stay in your lane. It's so easy to cut in on other people because we're jealous or concerned what they're doing or we feel like they're getting what belongs to us. It's especially, we're not supposed to do this, but we do this in the church. As a matter of fact, Jesus warns the disciples and says that we're not supposed to lord over each other like the Gentiles do. That's how the world gets ahead. That's how the world lives life. They gotta climb the ladder of success and push other people down and they gotta take advantage so they can get to where, that's not what we're supposed to do. Remember, like we're not just living for this life, we're living for the life to come, right? For all eternity. And sometimes we get nearsighted and we can only see this life and we get worried that someone's taking our spotlight and so we cut in on their lane and in the process, we hurt other people, we hurt ourselves, and we prevent the work of God from being accomplished. So stay in your lane. Verses four and five in the beginning of verse six continues by saying, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I like the way that one commentator put it when he said, unity should never Uh, be promoted at the expense of individuality. And individuality should never diminish the church's essential unity in Christ. He is our common ground. Jesus is the one thing that you and I have in common. He is the one thing that every single one of us here in this place has in common with each other. The reason we are all here is because of a man named Jesus Christ. And that is the only thing some other stuff, that is the only thing, or that's the main thing that matters. And we need to recognize that Jesus is our common ground. So we are many members of one body, the head of the body being Jesus Christ, right? And this thing you and I have in common, that we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came to this world, 
lived a life that we could not live, making a way for us through his death and resurrection to be like him so that we might have a relationship with our heavenly father. Jesus is the one thing that you and I have in common. Can I get a little bit, I say this to the students on Wednesday night, can I get a little, I geek out sometimes, if that's a term if you understand that. I, I get nerdy about the Bible, all right? I happen to love the word of God. I hope you do too. But if you, if you, would, if you would allow me for just a moment to like get a little nerdy when it comes uh, to the word of God, I, I happen to think that the word of God is powerful. I don't know. I don't know if, if you've seen that to be true in your life as well. I, I know that oftentimes because we're so, forgive me, I can say this because this is true of me, consumed with ourselves that what we do is we feel bad in a moment and so we go to God's word and we flip it open and we hope to read something in the Psalms so we feel good that, oh God, you really blessed me. But again, that's putting us at the center when this whole story is about Jesus. And so if we would actually drink deeply of the word of God, it would actually take us out of the center of our worldview. It would put Jesus in the center and it would allow us to enjoy our life a little bit more when we're not so busy trying to do his part or trying uh, to play God. So I happen to love the word of God and I think that the word of God applies to our life in incredible ways. I, I really do. So I would encourage you to learn to develop a, an acquired taste, if you don't have it, likely we don't because of our flesh, but develop an acquired taste for the word of God. And, and trust me, it is so good for you. It is so life-giving. So I'm going to get a little bit nerdy here with, uh, with the word of God. And what I mean by that is we need to understand who Paul is writing to when he writes this letter to the church in Rome. Okay, so Paul is trying to make Jesus known as far as Spain and beyond. And in order for him to do that, he needs to gain the support of a church that has already been established in Rome. He's headed back to Jerusalem to take, up, uh, to take the offering that he received from the churches back to Jerusalem. And then he's going to head over to Rome. So as he's getting ready to, to take that offering back to Jerusalem, he writes this letter to Rome saying, hey, I'm coming your way. And I want to establish a little bit of a rapport with you so that maybe you'll accept me so that it can be the base of my operation so that I might take Jesus all the way to Spain and beyond. And so here Paul is trying to write to this church in Rome. And why is it that he's writing this, this particular passage, talking about the gifts and talking about how we differ as the body of Christ and how we're all members of the body with Christ as the head? What is he trying to say? And I think I think it helps us to understand that in Rome, initially, there would have been a church established there by the Jewish people, right? Because initially, the Jews would have been the one who were spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. So they would have likely established this church uh, here in Rome. But now Rome is beginning to pressure the Jewish people in Rome. And so as they're doing church, Gentiles are starting to come into the church. So now we have this weird mixture of churched people and unchurched people and people who know how to play the game, who know how to dress the part, who know know the words on the screen, who know how to be real churchy. You know what I mean? I know you know what I'm talking about. And so we have this group of people who have established the church and how church should be done. And now we have this group of people who are getting saved and who are coming into the church. And now all of a sudden the Roman government begins to put pressure 
on the Jewish people and push them out of Rome. And so now the Gentiles are left to run the church without any knowledge of how church is really supposed to be done. And over time, the Jews are coming back to this church in Rome and they're finding that the church they left isn't the same church uh, that it is now. And suddenly there's like this, this tension between these people who, who are of different backgrounds, churched people, unchurched people, uh, Jewish people, Gentile people, people of different races, people of different backgrounds, people of different ages, people of different everything in every way. And, and there's all this friction that's taking place. And that doesn't look like the church today though, does it? It looks exactly like the church today. We have people who have been here for years and years and years who are saying, this is how church should and will always be done. And then we have new people who are saying, I don't get why we do church that way. And we get frustrated because it's more about my opinion of how church and my preference of how church should be done. And it looks exactly like what Paul is trying to address here in this passage. So we need to understand that when Paul wrote this letter, he was writing it to a really diverse church filled with people from all different backgrounds. But in the process of arguing how church should be done, they forgot one thing. They forgot the one thing that united every single one of them. They forgot about Jesus. That the reason they were all there was because of this man named Jesus Christ. And they got caught up in how church should be done and they forgot about what they had in common with each other and that was Jesus. And so we need to recognize the reason we're all here is because of Jesus. And it's not always gonna look the way that you want it to look. It's not always gonna meet your style or your preferences. It's, you know what I mean? It's not always gonna be packaged the way that you think it should be packaged. And that's okay. That's, that's okay. It should be and it needs to be okay because it's not about any of those things anyway. It's about Jesus, right? Amen? We're here for Jesus. We're here to make Jesus famous. And so what we can do though is we can take this knowledge now and say, that's right, brother, preach it. It's about unity. And that's why you should see things the way that I see it. and we immediately think that like, yeah, you're right, it's about unity, so people should begin to see things more the way that I see them, and that's the problem because that is the wrong way to think. We shouldn't be concerned with how people see things the way, or that people see things the way that we see them. We should be quicker to recognize the importance of how all the members of the body, different, unique, contribute, and work in conjunction to create this beautiful picture of the body of Christ with him as the head, not making sure that other people see things the way that we see them. We should recognize, hey, I appreciate your perspective, or I appreciate the things that you bring to the body. We shouldn't be concerned with everybody looking or acting just like us, because we recognize that we are many members, but one body, right? We are all running the same race with the same goal. So we need to stay in our lane. Stay in your lane. Don't don't cut in on somebody else because you're frustrated that they're doing something that you feel is wrong or really that they're getting the recognition that you wish you were getting. Stay in your lane. And with that said, there's also just a a sub point that I want to make here before we go into the third and final point. And it's this idea of unity and individuality working together. 
this idea of unity and individuality can cause a lot of tension in the body of Christ. And I kind of want to bridge this point uh, with the last point that I want to make. At the beginning of verse 6, it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given. Once again, gifts that were given by grace, which is once again a reminder that everything you have is because it's been given to you by God. That the only reason you are where you are is because God has placed you there. So if you're not happy with that, take it up with him. Right? Let me tell you a secret. Nobody can cut in on what God is trying to do. You think that other people are going to prevent you from fulfilling God's will for your life? Are you telling me that man is more powerful than God? Is that what you're saying? And so we get so concerned that somebody else is taking, taking what's mine. And we get so concerned that somebody else is getting the credit that I want. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's because that's you're making it about you. But if we keep God the center of our life, we recognize in the process of pursuing his will, nobody can take that from me. Nobody can prevent me from getting where I'm supposed to be. No one will stop the will of God from taking place in my life. And that is scripture. Unless you believe that man is able to foil the plan of God in your life, which he's not. Unless you're more concerned with glorifying yourself than you are with glorifying God, then you'll always feel that need to cut in on other people. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it tells us, that the Spirit distributes gifts as He wills. That the Spirit of God distributes gifts as He wills. If there is something that you need, God will give it to you. And if you don't have it, you're trying to do the wrong job in your own strength apart from the grace of God. That's scripture. If there is something that you need because he's a good father, he's not gonna withhold that from you. He'll give you what you need to do what he's called you to do. And if you don't feel like you have what you need, it's because you're trying to do something other than what he's asked you to do. You're trying to get out of a situation that he's placed you in. You're trying to get around, going through. The only way out in life is through. <laughs> you gotta go through those sorts of things. And God allows those things in our life so that he might grow us and shape us into the image of his son, who is the head of the church, who is the head of the body. So one more time, I just wanna repeat this. If there is something you need, God will give it to you. If you don't have it, you're trying to do the wrong job in your own strength apart from the grace of God. How comforting is that? God, forgive me for trying to do this in my own strength. The last point that I want to make. So <clears throat> as we look at just these verses and the points that I'm trying to encourage us and understanding how God has designed us with specific gifts for specific jobs, for specific tasks. The last point that I want to make is about our attitude. Okay? Our attitude will reveal if what we're doing is out of our faith or out of our flesh. Our attitude will reveal our heart. Verses six through eight says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 
If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So it's important for us to think less of ourselves or think of ourselves less often. It's important for us to stay in our lane and to concentrate on the gifts that God has given us. And now here in this, uh, these last verses, verses, Paul gives us a list uh, of gifts, but it's not an exhaustive list. It's a, it's a list of examples of the gifts that God has given the church, but it's not exhaustive. So you don't have to have one of these gifts. He's just giving us examples because each of us make up this beautiful thing that we call the body of Christ. But he gives us examples. And the reason he does this is because he also shows us the attitude of how we should use the gift that God gives us. So he gives us the example of teaching God's word and doing it patiently or in exhortation that we should be encouraging to one another. So Paul spotlights in each of these gifts, and you can reread it, he spotlights the attitudes that are necessary in using our gifts, right? So in one of the examples, he says that those who Uh, have the gift of giving, to do it generously, not begrudgingly. That if you're gonna give a gift, don't give it half-hearted. Give it or don't give it at all. Like, if you're doing it for yourself, that's the only reason you would give begrudgingly. It's, I'm gonna give this so that I'll get mine when it's my turn. But that's not the way that we receive from Christ. So the right attitude when we give is to give and give generously not to think about what it is that we're gonna receive in return. The second attitude and the second example that he gives us is that those who lead often have no form of accountability, so they need to lead with zeal, not with laziness. Because oftentimes it's easy to float and it's easy just to get by that if you're in this position of leadership, you need to be passionate about what God has called you to do. You need to be passionate about reaching this county because it's easy to sit back and do nothing. So we need to be people who are passionate as we lead the way in sharing our faith with others. So if you're wondering why we're always so busy doing so many things in this community, it's because we happen to actually believe that God wants to save people and that it's not just about about us, but it's about Jesus being glorified in us, amen? So we need to be passionate as we lead the way, and we need to allow that passion to become contagious in our lives as well. So the right attitude when we're leading is to be a leader full of passion. And then lastly, he gives us the example that those who show mercy to the hurting must not grow weary, but to continue to minister with gladness. Sometimes it's hard to do the right thing. You know, you get on the road and we see a, a person at the stop stoplight asking for money because they're homeless or they just lost their job or they need food or whatever it might be. And we take money out of our pocket and we give it to the person and we pull away and we immediately think, wonder what they're gonna use that for. Well, then why'd you give it to them? Then don't give it to them because you immediately defeated the purpose as to why you are showing mercy to that individual who never wanted to be in that situation to begin with. So who cares what they're gonna do with that money? Just be merciful to them. But don't question, well, you know, I don't know what good that's gonna do, but I'll do it anyway. Like, just don't do it. 
It'd be better that you just stayed home and didn't do or didn't serve or didn't give if you're gonna do it with the wrong attitude because if you do it with the wrong attitude, it just reveals that you're doing it in your own strength and in your own flesh. And man, that is exhausting. And a lot of us know that because we've done that. When we give, we need to do it in a way that is with the right attitude and we need to do it with gladness. We need to understand that our attitude reveals if what we're doing is by faith or by our flesh. So if we can't do what we're doing with the right attitude, then we're doing it in our flesh and we're not serving God, we're serving ourselves. I just wanna close with this thought. We'll close, then we'll go into worship for one song and then I'll come up and I'll pray uh, with us. But I just want you to imagine with me, okay? This is the picture that I kind of got as I was thinking about how God has gifted every single one of us. I want you to imagine that Leah spends all of this time planning this awesome gift for me. She goes to the store, she buys the supplies, she gets this map, she puts it on the wall, she takes the time to put the pins in the wall, all while the kids are running around her feet. She gets a card and she gets a journal and she writes her vows that she had read to me on our wedding day out and writes a note for each one of the lines of the vows and all this anticipation she plans. She even decides to tell me in April because she knows that I hate being surprised. So she thought, well, I'll tell him early enough that he can prepare himself. And so she's thinking about all the details that goes into giving me this perfect gift that was this moment designed just for me. And I come into the house and I begin to open the gift and I'm thinking, that's it? Really? That's, that's it? Of course, that's not how I acted. But like children on Christmas Day who are disappointed because they didn't get their Red Ryder BB gun. So many times we look at the gifts God has given us and we say, that's it? That's all God? Why couldn't you have gifted me to do this or to be better at that or why couldn't you have put me in this position or why couldn't you have allowed me to experience life and that's all that's all you've given me and I don't think or know that we can hurt God's feelings but man we forget that he's a good father and that if you who are evil can give good gifts to your children How much more does your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? Man, God has gifted you. And God has placed you where you are for a very specific reason, for a very specific time, so that you can do what he's called you to do. God says in Ephesians that he has prepared good works in advance for you to do. And I just wanna encourage you that none of us gets away with leaving here today and saying, God, you haven't gifted me. I don't know what I'm called to do. That's our job to figure out how we're gifted, but none of us gets to stand there with the gift open and think, that's it? That's all you've given me? Because the reality is, is that we serve a good God and the spirit of God, as he wills, gives us the gifts that we need. Amen. So wherever you are, whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're facing, 
God has placed you there. God has, and he will sustain you and he will endure you and he will give you the gift of grace and he'll give you the faith that you need to walk through whatever you're walking through because he is a good father who gives good gifts.